Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. I am your old and tired host, Mike Carter, here to talk all things fantasy baseball. It's been a long week here, and it's only Tuesday. We've got graduation at my school this week and tying up loose ends to the end of the school year, which is already upon us, if you can believe it. Baseball is also ramping back up for my son, Jack. Right now, I'm writing my speech and trying to figure out an 11- and 12-year-old pitching rotation here in the Midwest where the crappy weather has not allowed us to play one game yet, if you can believe that. With me, as always, is my Yankees-loving co-host, Chris Torres. Torres, welcome, first of all. And have you seen what happened in the Yankees game tonight? I did. My boy uh, – no, I, actually, I don't even want to joke about him being my boy because I can't stand the dude. Uh, Domingo Herman uh, got busted for uh, the sticky stuff, and I can't say I'm surprised. Um, yeah, the Yankees – I mean, the whole judge thing, I don't even want to get into that because that's been talked about everywhere. Uh, but, yeah, there's, uh, Yankees aren't looking so hot the past few days. Um you know, with some of these, uh, these things going on, but, uh, yeah, doing good. Um, but you know, the first thing I want to do before we, we get into it today, you know, usually we kind of like ease into the show, but today I'm jumping right in, man. Cause you know, I got to take the L and I, I just have to come out and admit what I did because it's honestly driving me crazy. Okay. All right. I look at box scores every day and in particular, I look at the Braves box score and every day when I look at those box scores, I'm reminded of the egregious, horrific, appalling mistake I made in my main event. league. You know what that was? I'm, I'm sure there were many, but one yeah, of there, were many. My memory. there were many, but the <laughs> biggest one was taking Trey Turner over Ronald Acuna with the first pick. And listen, it's time for me to come forward. It's time for me to take this L. You know, I was worried about Acuna's health. Mm-hmm. But eh, maybe the power wasn't going to come all the way back from what we saw pre-injury. I mean, just it was pure foolishness. Dude's already at nine homers, 17 stolen bases. I mean, he's pretty much, unless he gets hurt, he's going 40-40. That's upsetting, man. So, listen. You know, I'm I'm asking for. I know in the podcast, I kind of faded Acuna as well. We had a conversation during our Braves episode, mm-hmm. so I'm asking for an understanding from those who I may have led astray on this. You know, this is the biggest L I've ever taken since last week when I took the L on Mitch Keller. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's so, been about six days. Yeah, about six, yeah. Days. six days. And that's not, not even asking Ingrid about all the L's that you probably got about this it. weekend for Mother's Day. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, my lady. Yeah, those, that's a whole separate category. Uh, so that's where I'm at. You know, uh, I'm I'm doing okay personally, but in terms of my my fantasy life, uh, that one that one is hurting every day. I give myself ten lashings for every home run and seventeen for every stolen base. So oh boy! Hopefully, hopefully, I learned my lessons. Chris, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna really make sure that you understand, you know, I think everybody makes those mistakes and I think it was a fair assessment to be worried about Acuna, especially with the power 
And I, I think if we go back and listen to that podcast, I shared your sentiments on Acuna. Yeah. And honestly, I don't have them anywhere in any of the leagues that I'm in. I think I'm in 12 leagues. I don't think I have them anywhere, which might explain also why some of my fantasy teams are also struggling at this point. But, Chris, I'm going to say this before we go to our guest. The reason why you're not doing as well at fantasy right now is because you're really good at reality. Wow. I never thought about it that way. My wife tells me all the time that I'm really good at fantasy because I'm no good at reality. So I'm, I'm going to give you a compliment. I'm going to flip that around. Okay. Why can't I have both though? <laughs> you can. You're going to come back. You got to stay strong. Okay. I got to say, you sound fantastic. I, I love like, we worked on your audio, and you sound like a million bucks, man. So I just got to point that out. We're, well, we're, gonna, we're good to go, baby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit to one of my failings. You know, I've only yeah, been doing sure. podcasts with you for. Yeah, this is a big owl, and you were really kind about it. Quite honestly, yeah. I mean, no, I was very delicate. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't delicate's not a word I would use with Chris Torres, honestly. <laughs> but, but you were very kind to me because I'm an older person and I don't know very much about tech. But what I did today was. Because I wanted to sound good, because we have a special guest with us tonight. I wanted to make sure that my sound was good. I went on to this thing called YouTube. And YouTube has videos for everything. And YouTube taught me how to use the microphone that I've only owned for, oh, about three years now. And I realized that I'd been in a wrong setting the entire time. So now I might actually be able to record from the comfort of my own home instead of coming back to the principal's office and recording here as I do on a weekly basis when we get together and do the show. So hopefully this will be uh, something that's good that I did take an L on this one. I'm planning to take a few more W's moving forward, though. OK, so let's let's get to it. Let's get to it. So tonight with us, we have a very, very special guest. And you might recall that this is someone that we had on the show earlier in the in the wintertime. As a matter of fact, it was the first time that I've ever recorded anything by myself. And it was the middle of winter and it was a sleet storm on a Saturday morning. And this person was kind enough to take an hour out of her life and join me on the pod. We have with us Andrea from Scout Girl Report tonight. She was on over the winter with me, as I mentioned before. She's the founder of Scout Girl Report and she is a brilliant analyst. If you are not following her on Twitter, you are doing this thing all wrong. I guarantee you, you will learn something every time you watch one of her videos or see one of her clips on Twitter. She is fantastic at what she does. Recently, Andrea started working for the Athletic Fantasy as a columnist. I can't wait to read those. She's got 13,000 followers on Twitter, but she should have probably three or four times that many. Please follow her on Twitter at Scout Girl Report if you are not. Andrea, a warm welcome into the show this evening. Thank you again for joining us in the middle of a busy time for you as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We're really happy. We're really, really happy to have you back on. So, Andrea, you know, we talked a little bit about this when you were on with me in the wintertime, but could you tell people who might not remember how you first got interested in the game of baseball and how you got into fantasy baseball? Sure. Um, So when I was little, like seven or eight years old, my older cousin kind of took me under his wing and told me I wasn't allowed to root for the Yankees. We're from New York um, because it was too boring. They were always winning at the time. So we chose the last place team, which was the Devil Rays. And he taught me all the players and like all that stuff. And I started watching with him. So from there, it just kind of took off. We got an MLB TV account and I was watching like every night through middle school, high school. And I just kind of grew up like watching the Rays. And then in college, I tried out like fantasy baseball here and there. Um, Not the most competitive leagues, honestly, uh, just Mm -hmm. because my friends didn't quite watch as much so they were just like picking players on the teams they liked 
but you know, it just kind of like enhanced that like competitive aspect of it and just got me more like into the whole game. Who were your favorite players when you first started following baseball? You're going to make uh, us feel old. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, uh, Evan Longoria. It was his oh, rookie no. season the next year. And then, um, Matt Garza was my favorite pitcher. Okay. Do you remember him? Yeah, he was. He was a okay. stud. For yeah, a while. that was yeah. like the. Uh, when did they go to the World Series? Was it two thousand eight uh, or oh eight? Yeah, yeah. So um, I started watching in oh seven. So it was like just in time for the World Series. Okay. Yeah. Right when they were, they were getting good. I think that's when they kind of rebranded, right? Because there were the mm-hmm. Devil Rays for a while, and then they became the Rays and. You know, that organization just has uh, been unbelievable pretty much since then with, with the resources resources that they have and the success is just uh, incredible. But um, you mentioned that you are from New York and that, you know, it's boring to be a Yankee fan. But interestingly, you ended up <laughs> working uh, for the Yankees for a period of time. So if you could tell us a little bit about that experience and, and just what that was like for you. Sure. Uh, so I was a baseball operations associate. Uh, so I was on a one-year contract and I just like got to work on a bunch of different things. So it was a lot of like um, player evaluation, prospect evaluation, rankings, um, pro scouting stuff, like writing scouting, res- uh, scouting reports and things like that. And then like uh, a lot of advanced stuff like meaning like if we were about to face a team, like we would look at them and identify like strengths and weaknesses and like different aspects of things we could take advantage of. That is very cool. How did you get to that? Yeah. I was going to ask the same thing. Like, how did you, I mean, how did you go? Yeah. How do you go from being a fan of the Rays to all of a sudden being like this high profile analyst, figuring all this stuff out? Like, how did you get there? Uh, Well, I was, uh, I went to Northeastern University for college and they have like a program called the co-op program, which is where you could spend six months right, like in right. a full-time position. And I was an engineering major at the time and the Rays were building like a new stadium. I ended up like getting a position with them, like to look at some of the structural aspects of like what the stadium design could look like. And that was like my first exposure to like what a career in baseball would look like. So after I graduated, I started working as a civil engineer, and then I started my blog because I wanted to like, see if there was anything in baseball that could come to fruition. And after my blog took off a little bit in 2021, the Yankees reached out to me about halfway through the year, and I started interviewing with them and, and got the position for 2022. That's amazing. And yeah. Wow. I mean, you so you have a background in engineering. Um, you obviously are a talented writer. You're great with these videos that you put out there and you could write, you could write your own ticket. I mean, you've got a, a lot of, uh, uh, great skills here. Uh, what are your goals? I know. So let me just say for our listeners, you recently were, um, you went, you joined the athletic and are going to be doing a column for them. So congratulations for that. Um, but where, where do you want to go? Do you want to work in MLB or is it more like the analyst side? Like, what are, what are you thinking? Uh, I always have a, have trouble with this question because like everything that's led me to this point has been because I've had an open mind mm-hmm. and like kind of let opportunities come my way. So I'm trying to keep up with that, but I do like part of me does want to have like some role in baseball, whether it's like on the writing side with the athletic, which I'm super excited about, or, you know, maybe one day back at a team if, if the position is the right fit. Oh, very cool. Well, 
if you could tell us a little bit about you're currently with the athletic and I know you put out your, your first column a couple of weeks ago. So if you can tell our listeners what they can expect uh, and listen, by the way, get a subscription to the athletic. I just absolutely total no brainer. It's, it's $2, which it's worth way more than that, but you could get a, a subscription for $2 uh, per month. It's a no brainer. I mean, the, the stuff that they put out between their, their beat writers and columnists, you know, Saris is over there. Now, Andrea, I mean, it's just a no-brainer. So that's just a quick plug uh, for The Athletic. I don't want to hear anybody complaining, oh, it's behind the paywall. But $2 a month? Come on. Let's let's stop with that. I, even I, we can I, afford that, Torres. Huh? Even we could afford that. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the mental health field. We, we can do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you could just tell our listeners what they can expect uh, from the work that you're going to be doing over at The Athletic. Yeah, so it's a monthly column. So I'll put out an article every month, and it's – just like um, like analyzing baseball from a scouting angle to supplement like the fantasy baseball content that they have on there. Um, so I'll just be like looking at different players like that are, you know, rostered on maybe 50, 60% of teams and then trying to identify those who are undervalued, overvalued, or just anything else that I notice from watching throughout the month. Awesome. I'm sure it's going to be great stuff. Um, what are you doing in terms of fantasy? Like how many leagues are you playing in? What what format? Um, honestly, I'm not playing in any leagues this year um, okay. because I wasn't allowed to when I was with the Yankees. So I didn't yeah, know what was going to happen. I just didn't do it this year. Um, but hopefully next year I'll be back at it. But I try to keep up with all the news and you know all this and that. That's amazing. <laughs> I remember you telling me that over the winter that you couldn't that you couldn't play, and yeah. I was like. I was like, I need to get in the leagues that she was in because then maybe I, w- I might have a chance to win those leagues since she's not in them. So <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Well, for the purposes of tonight's show, everyone, we asked Andrea to kind of do what I call her patented deeper dives on players. And we we suggested a couple of players. And the first one that she's going to kind of take a look at for us and tell us a little bit of what to expect and how they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing is Brett Beatty from the New York Mets. So, Andrea, I'll turn it over to you and let you tell us a little bit about what he's doing and what you're seeing with him. Sure. Um, so, I guess when I look at a hitter, like there's three like main things that I focus on at first, and that's like their power and contact quality, their control of the zone, and then their like bat to ball skills or their hit tool. So, for Beatty, um, he's a third baseman, so power is pretty highly valued for that position and something that you actually want to see come to fruition, like more than you would like a shortstop or a center fielder, for example. Mm -hmm. So he's got the above average power, which you could see like in his isolated power and his slugging percentage throughout his minor league career. Uh, He's got a good barrel rate. His hard hit rate is elite. It's 53%. At least it was last night when I did this. (laughs) Um, and his expected slug, which takes into account like exit velocity, launch angle, all that stuff, is much higher than his actual performance. So that's always like a good sign that maybe he might just be getting unlucky and he'll start doing better. N- not in every case, but in his case, I think it will. Uh, the only catch with him is that he hits a lot of ground balls, which has always mm-hmm. been like kind of like when you look him up, that's always been a thing that's kind of been like a bugaboo for him. Uh, but... 
um, his average launch angle is also low. It's still early like in the year to use that kind of stat, but it's consistent with what he's always done. So I feel comfortable doing that. And he's not really doing much with like pitches to the heart of the plate, which is obviously where you want to see like the most damage done. Mm-hmm. So good power, but you know, uh oh, with the ground balls. And then for his zone control, he's above average. He has good walk rates, uh, isn't chasing that much. And his approach is on the more patient side. And I always say, like, it doesn't really matter, like, if a hitter is patient or aggressive, as long as, like, the results are okay and they're comfortable with that approach. Mm-hmm. So his is more patient and he doesn't swing first pitch that often, but it's not hurting him in any way. Like, he's not falling behind in the count a ton. Like, he's still. Like doing fine, his K rate is good, all that stuff. In terms of his like hit tool, I would say it's fringe average. Like his strikeout rate is good this season, but if you look back like throughout his minor league career in double A or triple A, like that's when you want to see like a sub like 15% strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. So they should be doing like better at that time. And his was more like 25 to 26%. You get um, yeah, it's quite high. So that's like his, you know, weakness in a way, which you know, no, you know, very few hitters have like all three of those categories that they're like dominating. So it's not completely unheard of. It's not a big deal. But overall, I expect him to do like better than he has been doing. And the biggest thing for him to like reach his ceiling for me would be like he needs to get the ball up because that's how he's going to raise his value as a third baseman. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just uh, pulling up here. I mean, there is quite a gap between his actual stats and his expected. Uh, his slugging is 360. Expected slugging is 463, according to StatCast. So uh, quite a large difference there. Um, yeah, I mean, everything, he's got a really good max EV of 113.7. Uh, like you said, Andrew, it, it really is the ground ball rate. If, if he can correct that even a little bit, you know, right now it's in the high 40s. If he could get that to like lower 40s, um, very small sample, but in AAA, he was hitting the ball on the ground only 30% of the time this year. So, I mean, if we could see that from him, you know, all bets are off because his, the, the power is legit. The control of the strike zone, like you said. Uh, so he he's someone I'm, I'm definitely excited about. I, I wish the Mets would just play him every day. I don't care if he's if they're facing the lefty that day. I mean, it, th- this drives me crazy when you have a young player – with the ability of a guy like a Brett Beatty and they're messing around with platoons with him. Like how is he going to learn how to hit lefties at the big league level? If you don't give him an opportunity. Um, so, you know, I, I hope the Mets just eventually just let him run with the job, um, play him every day. And I, I think, uh, you know, the, the upside is, is pretty immense with him. Chris, I'm very proud of you right now. Yeah. Because, the last couple of weeks, whenever we've brought up something like that, you know, you've you've gone off on like a two minute tangent and gotten really fired up. So I think you're really controlling yourself well tonight. And I think I think Brett Beatty is a, is a great example of exactly what you're talking about, what you always bring up. Right. Like there's no reason why they shouldn't be giving this guy an opportunity to play every day. What is there to lose? I mean, is Ed, is what Eduardo Escobar that much better than him that he should be getting playing time over him? I would think not. So I think you're right. On, you guys are both right on target. And I think uh, Beatty is one of those guys that for me, as when people have asked me, not that people ask me like they ask you guys, but it was to preach the message of patience. This is a guy who's got to adjust. We know that the league is a league of adjustments and then hitters have to adjust back and it goes back and forth 
like the chess game that it is, you know? So I'm, I'm in on him. I think he's an interesting guy and somebody that when I look at the statistics that you guys are talking about, I feel like there's going to be some more there and, and possibly even this year. It's a chamomile tea, Mike. I have a nice glass of chamomile tea with me. So I'm nicely, I'm nicely done. <laughs> nicely done. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to our next breakdown. And of course, um, it had to be, first I mentioned earlier that I, I fessed up to last week about someone I was totally wrong about. And Mike was on this guy, and that's Mitch Keller. And I talked about him last week as someone whose skills were really trending up. And this weekend he went out and threw, he had 13 strikeouts, I believe, against uh, Baltimore. So I, I really feel like he's taking that next step into, uh, I don't want to say elite, like ace level, but he's kind of in that SP2, yeah, I'd say SP2 range at this point, given the pitching mm-hmm. uh, landscape. So Andrea, take it away. Tell us a little bit more about Mitch Keller. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be the low guy on him, I guess. <laughs> I'll Ooh, start okay, there. All right. <laughs> um, so I have him as like a back end of the rotation on a championship club. So like if he was pitching for like the Dodgers or the Yankees or something, mm-hmm. he's like an SP five. No, um, <laughs> oh, this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, be the number one on the White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, okay, so for a pitcher, the first thing I do is like look at their like delivery to see if there's anything like funky going on there with deception, which in his case there's not. Um he's just like very standard, like three quarter slot and pretty straight on to the plate. Uh and then from there I'll look at like what does he actually throw and like how does he face both hands. So in Keller's case, like versus righties, he's got a sinker, which he is his main fastball versus them, and then also the slider and the cutter, which he mixes in. Um, and the cutter is actually a new pitch this year, which I think is helping him out a lot. And it's especially helping him out versus left-handed hitters. He's got the four seam versus lefties, which is his primary fastball versus them, and then the cutter and the curveball. And the cutter's a really big deal there because his splits up until this point have been much more favorable against right-handed hitters. But I think that added weapon is like helping him out to be able to throw something in on uh, left-handed hitters. And just in general, he's following like a very traditional ideology in terms of like throwing the sinker to the same hand, like the cutter more to the opposite hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so then from there, um, I look at like his velocity and his movement. And I don't think any of his pitches are like super elite. Um, but like just doing this kind of gives an idea of like what it actually looks like when he faces each hand. So against righties, he's got, like I said before, the sinker slider cutter. So that's the sinker moving in on right-handed hitters with above average run and then the slider and the cutter moving away. And he's kind of doing like a tunneling thing with the slider and the cutter Mm -hmm. because he's throwing them to the same spot, like low and away, but the slider has some depth and there's also uh, like a 10 mile velocity different 10 mile per hour velocity gap between the two. So I think that's kind of tripping people up. And, Oh, I just want to say, which is maybe a mini rant here. Um, but go for it. Go for it. <laughs> we're, all about, we're all about the rant here. So yeah, go for it. His slider is being classified as a sweeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a sweeper. It, it has some depth. Um, but like a sweeper in my mind is like a Frisbee pitch. And that's not what this looks like. If you watch it, and I've noticed this about like a few different guys, like 
it seems like inconsistent which pitches are being classified as a slider and which are being classified as a sweeper. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. use the word slider because they're all sliders at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Right? It's like everybody's throwing a sweeper and I think people are just like eager to label things, <laughs> you yeah. know, with the, with the cool new uh, pitch. But yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, so then versus lefties, he's got, like I said before, the four seam, the cutter, the curveball. So four seams, he's throwing away to lefties, cutters in, and then the curveball is going to dive down. And I actually really like the curveball. It gets above average depth and sweep and a lot of ground balls off that pitch, which is nice. Okay, so then after I have like a like an image in my head of what like his stuff is actually going to look like versus each hand, the results come into play a lot more. So like, does he actually get strikeouts? And historically, he hasn't, but this year, his strikeout rate is 30%, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sold on it, <laughs> just um, because, like, all of his pitches have really high like, contact rates mm-hmm. when they're thrown in zone. So I just mm-hmm. picture him as more of a pitcher who's going to pitch and, like, get flyouts or groundouts, whatever, uh, not strikeouts. Um, so we'll see what happens after a few more starts. We could revisit that. Uh, and then I thought it was interesting that he's using his four seam as a put away pitch. Like all he's throwing his breaking balls like in zone, which is helping him a lot. It's improving his control this year. In the past, it's been like kind of an issue for him. But mm-hmm. I think since he started throwing all his stuff in zone, he's been doing better in general. Um, but yeah, the four seam gets really high in zone miss. So it's not the best pitch. It has below average ride, but it's working well in terms of how he's using it. Yeah, that's now, all I got. Yeah, I, so I hear you. It sounds like you're a little bit lower on him than, than definitely what I just said about him being a, like a fantasy SP2. Uh, that makes sense where you're saying that in the zone, he's not uh, maybe as dominant as some of these upper echelon pitchers. Like uh, I'm just looking at his in-zone contact overall is 85.3%, which is decent, but not. It, it's definitely not at like that elite level, which is more like 80 and below. Um, he does have a very high CSW, I see here. He's got a 30.5%, uh, which is above average. Uh, and the, the cold strike percentage has gone up quite a bit this year, uh, from 17 to 20%. Um, any thoughts on that, as, Andrew, as far as, far as like him uh, getting more cold strikes? Is, is that just variance? Is, that, is he just being lucky with that? Or do you think there's anything in his approach that indicates that is sustainable? Um, so I guess I think that adding the cutter might've thrown some hitters off Mm -hmm. in terms of like how to advance him. Like teams weren't really aware that he added that pitch until this year. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like an adjustment period for that. And then like how he's using it, like all that stuff takes time to, to accomplish, but like his actual arsenal in general, like, like I said before, there's nothing that really stands out. So I don't think like I would never compare him to like a Garrett Cole or like a Severino or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like his stuff just mm-hmm. like he's fine. Like he throws a lot of pitches and that's kind of how he like succeeds between that and his control. But I wouldn't consider him like someone with elite stuff that's, you know, gonna pitch a game seven ever. So Mike and- now you've been brought down a little bit. You know, I know you were riding high in the Mitch Keller wave. Uh, Andrew brought you back down to earth. Tell me, what are your thoughts on him rest of the season? I mean, is this someone 
that like in a 12 team league that you're aggressively trying to go out and acquire? Um, wh- where are you at on it? Are you asking me? Yeah, I said your name. Well, I know, but I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be more interested to hear what she has to say than me, don't you think? No, um, someone to go out and acquire? No, not necessarily. I mean, if I have him, I might try to, you know, now that I'm hearing what Andrea has to say, I might try to sell high on him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the the thing about it for me, and we talked about this last week, and I won't go into it again because it was a bit of a rant on my end. Is you know, I, I just really don't know how to value starting pitching anymore and with all the injuries and things that have been going on and the rule adjustments i am not willing to pay premium prices for pitching at this point um and and i'm i'm paying for it now and i'm hoping that that will um lead to some better developments for me in the second half of the season and i'm not too far gone to get back into it so yeah, that's that's it. Well, that's sobering, Andrea. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, sorry to be the bearer. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm no, that's great. That but, but it's just an opinion. He might be amazing this year. We'll see. No, but, but I, I don't that, see it. That's the beauty part of this, right? Is that like you actually look at those things. I look at those those numbers and see things that are different from what you're really seeing. And what you're seeing is the stuff that's really happening. I think I kind of find myself in that mode a lot of time where I kind of see what I want to see. Um, and I, I want to believe from so many years that this guy was going to be a really good pitcher. He's off to a really good start. I mean, he is five and one and he's got an ERA under two and a half. So, so far so good for him, but it, the shoe, other shoe could drop at any time. And, and we know how that goes in baseball all too well. Um, moving on to our next little segment here, we, we started this new thing that, that Torres started a couple of weeks back called the week that was. Um, what I'd like to ask both of you, um, Torres and Andrea, is what, what's one fantasy takeaway that you had last week? If there was one little piece of something that came up that you, that you would like to share with uh, the, our listeners on the week that was. We'll let our guests go first. Andrea, what, is, what do you got? Um, okay, I guess my takeaway would be that, you know, even though a lot of like the everyday players are like approaching like a normal sample size to look at their stats, like a lot of the players that are still available, like to be picked up and dropped like on waivers and stuff, their sample is not one that's like super trustworthy. So I think it could be easy to like look at stats and see that someone's doing like really well or really poorly, but their sample size is just super small. So my takeaway is just to, I guess, be careful about that kind of stuff still, even though we're like a quarter way into the season. That's a great point. Yeah, just, I, I do think that because of how advanced we, at least we think we've gotten in terms of our analysis, um, I mean, it has become just so granular. And like every time, you know, and this is not to like put down anybody's work, but it's just like there's just so much content out out there about like every start or like what changes were made. And it's like, sometimes it gets a a little to be a little bit too much, you know, and I think we're looking at such small samples that, um, you know, it's, we can kind of overwhelm ourselves, you know, and uh, um, what is that term paralysis analysis, you know, like you just, you Mm -hmm. you really get kind of too far into the weeds. So um, yeah, it's still, it's still early, right. We're a quarter of the way through and, um, you know, uh, maybe Trey Turner turns it around and he outperforms Ronald Cooney with the rest of the way. Or so I, 
Um, my takeaway is just a, a trend that continues this season. It's just the aggressiveness that these teams uh, are displaying with their call-ups. I mean, I, I just don't remember in recent years, you know, usually it was like we waited till around like late May, early June. We were always talking about like the Super 2 deadline. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. You know, but that was always, we were always kind of like wondering when that magical date was. It was this big, big secret. But it was usually around that time where we started to gradually see these uh, big name prospects come up. And, you know, the game, I don't know if it's because of the new labor agreement or, I mean, I'm sure that has something to do with it. But, um, you know, it's just totally changed. I mean, these teams are being so aggressive. Look at all the young pitching that has come up early in the season uh, between Tanner Bibby. Bryce Miller, Logan Allen, Yuri Perez. Uh, we saw not a pitcher, but Matt McLean called up for the Reds the other day. Uh, so these teams are just being so aggressive. And, you know, uh, to speak of the Reds, I mean, they've got two big name prospects down there and uh, Ellie De La Cruz and, and Christian Encarnacion Strand. And, you know, like before I would be like, well, you know, I'm not really too interested in stashing. But like if they're available with the way things are moving this season, you got to kind of act now because I, I feel like these teams are, are just being much more aggressive. You can't just sit around and wait. And uh, yeah, that's just, that's my takeaway is that, you know, like going into next year in these DCs, uh, these like draft and hold leagues, I was kind of like, eh, I don't really want prospects because who knows if they're going to get called up. And if they do, it's going to be later in the season. And now I feel like those guys that are going like in the you know, 45th round, Mm-hmm. Uh, like Bibby was going in the 45th round and I was like, nah, I don't know if he's really going to be up this year and I pass on him. And that's really silly. You know, like going into next year, I think I, as well as probably, uh, I'm sure others are going to be much more aggressive with, uh, with these prospects given uh, the current, uh, you know, the current landscape. Yeah. That's really good insight. Andrea, do you have something you want to say to that? Yeah. So it, with the new CBA, um, like, and this might Im- impact like, when you're first drafting your team before the season starts, like mm-hmm. if they put a top prospect like on the opening day roster and they win rookie of the year, the team gets a draft pick in the first round. And I think that's like a big incentive to see like prospects on the opening day roster. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. Cause if there's like, like an Anthony Volpe or a Julio Rodriguez coming up who, you know, has a good shot to win that award at the end, like you might as well, just add them just in case because they'll probably be up soon. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Great point. Yeah. You know, back in the day, five, six years ago, the white Sox would just sign these guys to long-term contracts and then none of them have panned out because they can't play more than five days. You know, Tim Anderson came off the IL and they had, he played two days and then he got a day of rest. I'm like, okay, try telling my boss that one. Yeah. I need a day of rest after I just came off the IL. Okay. That'll work out real well. <laughs> um, my my takeaway this week, and I'm just going to keep it very brief, is the agony of Fab. It is I know it, it too is, well, brother. It is agonizing, and I can't stand it. And I, on Sunday night, I actually fell asleep before the Fab run started, and I woke up about two o'clock in the morning, and I had that bleary eyed recognition where I'm like, "Wait a minute, my team looks exactly the same as it did when I went to bed at nine o'clock. Oh, no. Why is that?" And then I looked at my biz and I was like, how can I be this wrong? And the week before, I was really right. I was really, I did a very good job the week before. And then I just did a complete crap job this past week. So 
I think I ended up with one Dominic Fletcher somewhere in there, you know, who's probably not going to ride this hot streak you know, too much longer. Right. But maybe I get something good out of it. I don't know. But I, there are so many times where I'm so wrong. I, I don't even know where to begin to discuss it. I'll pro- I'm working on a like a 5000 word essay on it um, in my mind at this point to put out somewhere later on in the season to to share the burden with other people of the agony of fab. So I will just leave it at that and we can move on and talk about more interesting things than my agonizing fab decisions and being, you know, $50 off of a bid. So um, we have another segment that we've started doing here the last couple of weeks that we call looking ahead. And this is where we look at hitters and pitchers that are trending up. And so Chris, I'll uh, turn it to you first because you brought up two pretty interesting guys um, on the script two that I have in a couple of different places that I've been a little worried about. So I'll turn it over to you and let you talk about that. Yeah. So Andrew, you mentioned uh, Anthony Volpe and uh, he was someone made the opening day roster. And, you know, I had my doubts about him as a 21 year old uh, coming up, uh, especially because I felt like there was competition there. You know, they had Peraza, they had as much as it pains me, they had IKF, you know, like I felt like they had options. guy. Oh my God, let's not even get started. Uh, But uh, I felt like if he struggled initially, like he was a very uh, high likelihood that he would be sent down. And uh, he did struggle a little bit. You know, he went through a period where he was like right around the Mendoza line and he's not that far above it uh, so far. But from a fantasy perspective, I mean, you got to be happy with what Volpe has provided. And I, I think based on the recent skills, there's a reason to believe that um, you know, that average is going to be climbing up here and that, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be getting the category juice with, um, you know, a good average and really good counting stats. Uh, because if you look at his past 14 days here, I mean, everything looks really solid. We're talking the past 58 plate appearances, which I know is a, is a smaller sample, but I, I think there is some significance to what he's doing. According to Fangraphs, uh, his hard hit percentage is 56%. Um, he is he has higher fly ball rate than ground ball percentage. Fly ball rate is at 40 percent, which is kind of that that number that we'd like to see, um, you know, really pretends well for power moving forward. He's controlling the zone well, 27.7 percent O swing. Uh, and he's not you know, what drives me crazy sometimes is, is players who have a low O swing, but they never swing at anything mm-hmm. in his own either. You know, like a Dan mm-hmm. Vogelback to me is like the perfect example of that. Yeah, he walks a lot, but like, I don't want that dude walking. I want him driving, driving in runs, you know? Um, you don't want to get his speed on the bases, you mean? I, I need to see that speed. I, you know, I put in a bet that he was going to get his first stolen base of his career uh, before the season. So, you know, I'm, I'm still banking on that. But, um, you know, getting back to Volpe, 27.7% O-swing, which is above average, but he's swinging in the zone 72%, which is right at where he should be. That's right about average. Uh, his contact rate, 73.1, not exceptional, but but fine. Um, he's pulling the ball. Like I said, he's pulling the ball in the air. Um, 17.9% barrel percentage over the past few weeks here. Mm-hmm. He's 5 for 5, stealing bases. I mean, I really think this guy... Uh, by year's end, I think there's a chance that, you know, he is like going into drafts next year. We're talking about him as like a top 50 pick. 
uh, which I guess isn't really? too much of a stretch because he was at, by the end of draft season, he was like a top 100 pick. Uh, but I think he's going to be a fantasy superstar. I mean, and he's doing this all at 21 years old. So um, I don't, Andrew, what do you think? Do you think Volpe is, do you think he's like a, a top 50 player next year? Like, what do you see for him rest of the season? Um, I'm like on the fence about Volpe, honestly. Like I, there's a lot of things I liked about him um, when he was in the minor leagues. He, I was in the camp that he should not have been on the opening day roster he, it's fine that he's like on the team now. He's doing better. Um, the only catch is like I'm just not confident in his approach at all. Like he just seems like really lost sometimes. Um, this is more like a reality thing than a fantasy thing, but mm-hmm. because he's doing, you know, his results are fine. So there's that, um, and his strikeout rate is like up a little bit from where it was at the beginning of the year as walk rates down. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Volpe. I think he'll do fine. I don't think he's going to be like a perennial all-star that like some people seem to think that he is um, yet. Like at this point, mm-hmm. I see view him more as like an average player. Um, and the thing is, he can steal bases. Mm-hmm. He's really good at it. I just again i'm gonna take like a more of a an old timer approach to this one he has like a momentum jump that he uses i don't know if he still uses it i am having a hard time getting behind that strategy just because like it makes you more susceptible to being picked off so i wonder if he'll actually be able to like keep that approach if like Mm. more advanced teams start throwing over to him and like making him not do as extreme of a jump to get like a better lead. Um, but that's just a personal opinion. Like he has a high baseball IQ. Like mm-hmm. he's that's pretty good sure. at reading people and reading mm-hmm. like what's going to happen. Um, and you could see that in his fielding a lot. Like sometimes he'll kind of predict which direction the ball is going to go in based on like a swing or the previous swing. And, and he's just very good about that kind of stuff. So he can overcome that, but it's just something that I think is interesting about him. Yeah, what, what if if uh, teams adjust to that? Yeah, um, it, it is pretty unconventional. This kind of like jump step that he does towards second. You would think that teams would be kind of like figuring out, you know, how to how to take that away already. But uh, I mean, he's been he's just been unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. I think his success rate is you know ninety something percent mm-hmm. uh, stolen bases. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to reevaluate when we have you on next time. We'll we'll check yeah for sure. <laughs> you know where where things are at but i feel pretty good about what he's displaying yeah. uh, so far this season uh and one other player young player who you know fantasy players were very excited about heading into this year uh former number one prospect was was gunner henderson mm-hmm. and to be honest he's been a little bit of a disappointment so far uh definitely not giving you the value uh that would match what you paid for him in a fantasy draft but Again, another one who, another player who I think the skills are showing that there's um, going to be better days ahead. Uh, hard, hard hit percentage over the past few weeks, it's 56% for him. He's pulling the ball 40% of the time, hitting it in the air 48% of the time. So again, love to see that. Um, o swing 24.5%, uh, very good. A little bit more passive than what uh, Volpe was showing. His in-zone per- swing percentage is 65.8%. Uh, 
Uh, so want to see him be a little bit more aggressive there. Uh, barreling the ball 12% of the time. And here's the thing. You may not notice that he's had these good skills because the results haven't really been there. And that's because he has a 174 Babbitt over uh, batting average in balls on balls in play over the past few weeks. So um, I think once that batted ball luck turns around, I think you're you're going to be seeing much better results from Gunnar Henderson. Um, you know, two things that kind of bug me about him right now, though, is that he's not really running. He only has one mm-hmm. stolen base on the year. Mm-hmm. And today's environment, uh, you know, that's that's really you know that's that's hurting you, right? Because er- Carlos Santana has four stolen bases, you know. So uh, you drafted Gunnar Henderson partly because he was a third baseman who provided some speed. He's not really giving you that. So uh, that's a little bit concerning. I don't know, you know, what what the deal is there, if that's just a team thing or if that's a personal decision on his end. But I uh, want to see him be a little bit more aggressive. And uh, the lefty, you know, like I, I think he's he struggled against lefties so far in his career. I'm confident, given the caliber of prospect that he is, that he'll figure that out. Um, but, uh, you know, that that might limit him a little bit here you know, as he, as he develops, you know, and this is really his first full year. So we may not see that right away. So I can tell you a fantasy player who's really, really worried about uh, Gunnar Henderson right now is Jack Carter. Um, We have him, we have him in our father's son league and he insisted that we were going to take Gunnar at a really high pick. And I tried to tell him no, but I figured he's got to learn. Yeah. And so we got Gunnar and over the weekend, he was looking at the stats with me. He's like, what the hell is this? You know, it's not good so far, Jack, but we're going to, we're going to stay the course. Is there somebody better that we should pick up? I'm like, uh, no. Then of course, of course, his, his primary guy that was available and I had to talk him out of it, which is Yohan Mankata. I'm like, let's not drop Gunnar Henderson for Yohan Mankata, baby. We'll, we'll, let's give it another week. Okay. So I'm secretly hoping that Gunnar hits like three home runs this week and Jack gets off my back on it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, I mean, listen, you're starting your son young. I've already, um, I've introduced it to my three-year-old, you know, I'm, I'm starting, I'll probably put him in his first league next year. I think at four, I think it's a good, a good starting point. Um, you know, but we gotta, this, they've got to learn, right? Like these lessons, the, the sooner they learn, the better they're going to become. He's going to take Mitch Keller and Volpe and beat you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, we wanted to talk also, um, guys, about uh, pitchers and, and some trends. And, and Chris, we, we've been looking at it as pitchers trending up. But this week you wanted to point out a pitcher that's trending down and that has really been a, a major disappointment for a lot of people in fantasy baseball. But I think many people saw this coming in some way, but although not this bad. And that's Alec Manoa. Uh, what are you seeing with him? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's been ugly all the way around. I mean, his Sierra is above five. Uh, he's walking the ballpark, 15% walk percentage. Um, I was out on Manoa because I just, I didn't, the strikeout rate wasn't anything to write home about. Um, and the projections, not that I go just by that, but like even the projections were indicating that there was, uh, that he was not going to be worth what his ADP was. And, I mean, he's been one of the, the worst pitchers in the league. And I watched some of that game last night against the Yankees. And he just, there's just nothing like electric there. There's nothing impressive with his stuff right now. Um, I mean, he never was a huge like velo guy. I mean, he's always been kind of in that like average, like 93. Um, and he hasn't lost that much. Like he's down like half a tick this year, but it just doesn't seem like there's, there's much life on it. Um, yeah, I found it interesting that 
looking at his roster ship percentage, CBS, he's still 96% rostered, which, you know, those are more like 12 team formats. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, if I had him in a 12 team, I don't know at this point if I'm hanging on to him. Um, uh, his next three starts are home against Baltimore at Tampa Bay and home against Milwaukee. So, uh, Mike, I'll throw it to you. I mean, is he somebody in a 12 team league that you would be rostering at this point? And, uh, you know, what are your overall thoughts on Manoa? Um, no, I, I, I had him as a keeper, um, two years ago and, and got the juice there and that was great. And then I moved him at the end of the last season to, to, for other assets and, uh, sold very, very high on him. And I don't, I don't think that I'm smart enough to to see what has happened coming. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think I saw that the regression is a monster as we all know, and I thought it was coming, but I didn't think it was going to be what it's been. I'm just very glad that I cut my losses with him on that. Um, I think a lot of people are going to hang on based on the name value, you know, that he's had two pretty good seasons and people think that he's pretty established, but I'm not seeing anything right now that, makes me think that I want to hang on to him um, at the risk at the risk of um, the third time is going to be the charm. I'm going to turn this over to Andrea and see what she thinks about our, our guy here. What do you think? I she haven't thinks. really looked at him that much, um, but I just opened up his savant page and it looks like he changed his pitch mix a bit this year. Uh, he's yeah, throwing his finger a lot more uh, for seamless, which I'm a little confused about why that's not working out for him because his sinker is really good. It has like seam shifted wake, which means it gets like um, like unexpected movement when it crosses the plate. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I need to look more into him. That's it's interesting because like, he kind of came out of nowhere. I felt like two years right. ago, right? Um, and I think that sinker being such a weapon was a big part of it. So yeah, I would need to look more into him now. I'll, I'll trust you guys. This time, <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling better, Torres. Right now, I'm, feel, I'm feeling a lot better than I was a couple of minutes ago. Andrea, Andrea's with us on this one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I do want to be on her side because she's she knows what she's talking about. Um, Correct. But uh, one other uh, pitcher I quickly wanted to highlight, and this is not necessarily to say that he, you know, the bottom is going to fall out or. Um, that he's going to be bad moving forward. But I just want to throw a little bit of cold water on uh, Bryce Miller, who, you know, was is, is kind of a fantasy darling now. The people who spent up for him and Fab are very happy with their early returns. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at some of the underlying skills, I mean, it just he's going to regress, which everybody knows. I mean, he's not going to keep a, a point. What is it? 0.74 ERA. Uh, but I mean, some of the luck stats have been wildly in his favor. He's got a 156 batting average on balls in play. None of the fly balls that have been hit against him have been hit for a home run. Uh, his swinging strike percentage is only 9.3%, which is really like it's barely average. Uh, I'd say even a little below average. Uh, CSW, it's not like he's getting a ton of called strikes either. Uh, CSW is 27%, which is kind of average too. So again, not to say that you you know he's gonna just be terrible moving forward, but I think just be a little cautious. You know, this is not. I don't know if he's being valued currently as to what his true skill level is. Um, this week, for example, I have him in one league, and it's a twelve teamer. I had nobody else. Uh, <laughs> I actually thought about throwing Patrick Corbin in, instead. 
uh, or starting him. And I chickened out and I put Bryce Miller in there, but I'm a little bit scared. His next start is uh, in Atlanta. So like that's someone like for someone showing those skills, I'm going to be pretty tentative uh, to put him in a matchup like that. The 15 teamer, I think you kind of have to, you know, just given what he's done and what you probably paid for him. But uh, I'm just saying this, like we just be cautious because I don't think he's like a, uh, you know, top 25 starting pitcher all of a sudden. Now, he's good, but what we're seeing isn't completely uh, you know, indicative of who he is. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think you got to throw a little bit of caution there, right? I mean, he's been really, really good and people spent a lot of fab on him, but he's going to regress at some point. It comes for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I've got him in a couple of places, but I'm not 100% sure what I have there. You know, I, I, I it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. We'll see how that plays out in the long term, right? So that's that's cool. Um, so those are those are a couple of trends looking ahead of from hitters and pitchers that we're looking at there. Um, we also like to point out some team trends and some things that are happening in the next week. And Torres, you got a couple of teams here that um, you're you're taking a, a little harder look at in terms of you know what they've got coming up and uh, and some of the splits. You want to talk about that a little bit? Very quickly, because I can't believe we're already at, at like 50 minutes. So I'm just going to run through these really quick. Um, so just wanted to point out, looking at the Giants, you know, they've been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. The reason is that they've got a really good lineup against um, uh, against righties and against lefties, one of the worst lineups in the league. So just something to consider when you are uh, streaming pitchers. If you have a righty, you may think, you know, going against them, you may think that, oh, it's a Giants, not a big deal. But they're like top three against varieties, you know, when they mm-hmm. got guys like Wade and Peterson in there. So just uh, proceed cautiously with uh, against them in those situations. Uh, another team I'm looking at that I really feel is rounding into form. And when they're, when they're at full strength, I think is going to be a scary team is, is the Cubs. You know, I didn't think oh, too boy. much of them going into the season, but um, now that you've got Mervis in there and you see what Christopher Morrell is doing. Yeah, I know he strikes out a lot, but man, I mean, he has just got some, really impressive uh, power and the skills are there. I think they've got a really good lineup top to bottom. So um, I, I'm looking out for the Cubs. I think between their offense and their defensive prowess, I mean, they're like top five in team defense. I think the Cubs, you know, talking more real life baseball here, I think they could, um, they're like a pitcher away and I think they've got a really good team there. Uh, and last thing, just next week, we got a full Rocky homestand, all seven games at home. Um, you know, get your Rockies, get get your Brenton Doyle, who probably is available in 12 teamers, who's, you know, hitting home runs, stealing bases. So always want to be uh, aware of when the Rockies are uh, going to be at course. So that is uh, those are the team trends. In the of course, they're at home and CJ Crone is on the IL, which is uh, really helpful, home. which is really helpful for me. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So great. So great. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about some bullpens and many of our listeners know that I cover the bullpens at Fantrax on a weekly basis. Um, I keep the Tums and the Rolades and sometimes the whiskey nearby as we talk about those, but a couple of the bullpens that I'm tracking this week that have some interest uh, for fancy players. One is in Miami where AJ Puck hit the IL over the weekend with some nerve irritation in his elbow, which never sounds good to me when you're talking about somebody who throws the way that he throws and the motion that he uses, um, he's, he's been pretty effective this year. If you, if you're looking for somebody to try to get saves in that bullpen, it looks like it's going to be a committee 
between Dylan Floro, who's been very good to start the season in an eighth inning role, and also maybe Tanner Scott getting some opportunities there too. A very dark horse candidate there as well as Matt Barnes, which I don't throw anything at me. Uh, I know that a lot of people are out on the whole Matt Barnes thing, but um, he's somebody that could actually sneak into the mix at some point too. Stranger things have happened. The other thing that I would like to point out too is that Atlanta seems to be in a little bit of turmoil right now with Roselli Iglesias coming back off the IL but not exactly lighting it up and A.J. Minter having had a lot of trouble beforehand in covering for him with an ERA over eight in his last five outings before Iglesias came back. So Atlanta's got a little bit of an issue there, and I'm trusting that Brian Snitker will will iron that out. They've got a lot of options there. Um, I would look for it at this point to maybe potentially be a timeshare moving forward if Iglesias doesn't figure out some of these issues relatively quickly. Also lying in the weeds there, nobody wants to talk about it, I know that, but also lying in the weeds there is former 35-year-old closer Kirby Yates, who um, has been good, but I don't see him closing necessarily. I just like to throw those things out there to make people feel a little bit frightened. You're, uh, you're not going to make Kirby Yates happen, okay? You're, like, <laughs> you know, you're not going to make Fetch happen. You're not going to make happen. happen yet. Yeah, all right. Exactly I, know. I was just thinking. Yeah, you you plugged him in like when we you know in the winter uh, when we had our Braves episode. I'm like Kirby <laughs> Yates, guy still in the league, like. It's over. It's over. Okay. I like the old guys. Okay. Like, no, I I don't think he's really going to get an opportunity. I was just saying that more to get people's goat and and see if they're actually listening to what we have to say. So those are a couple of bullpens to watch. Also, things could get interesting in Boston as well, where uh, Kenley Jansen has been less than stellar. And there's been some talk that uh, Tanner Houck is going to go down to the bullpen and maybe resurrect his uh, multiple inning role that he was effective in last year and the year before. I don't know what Boston's doing. I'm not going to speculate. We'll wait until hopefully we get Chris Cotillo back on and can talk a little bit about what they're doing there in Boston. But um, that's it for me with bullpens. Just a couple of trends that are going through. Getting into the last couple minutes here of the podcast, we also like to talk a little bit about recommendations that we have on fantasy-related content that you found helpful or interesting over the past week, um, whether that be a podcast, an article, or a piece of, of content that you just found to be interesting or helpful. And I really want to give a shout-out to one of the guys that I work with at, at Fantrax, uh, Rick Hake. Um, he's got a, his name is spelled kind of weirdly, <laughs> the H-A-A-K-E. It is not Hakey. It is not hockey. It is Hake. I reached out to him today and asked him about it directly so that I didn't butcher it when I came on the, on the screen here. Um, Rick Hake did a, a report last week on the top 80 starting pitcher prospects on Fantrax. I found it to be really fascinating. The reason why was kind of piggybacking off what you guys were talking about earlier, which was the vast number of injuries that are happening with pitchers. A lot of these guys are going to be on the come faster than what they would have been under normal circumstances. And so if you haven't had a chance to to, to read that yet, check him out on uh, – um, I almost said Facebook. Check him out on Facebook. Come on, Mike. Check him out on Twitter. You are uh, old, man. Wow. I know. I mean, who uses Facebook anymore, right? Um <laughs> Rick Rick Hake's top 80 starting pitcher prospects on fan tracks. Chris, what's uh, something that you found interesting this past week that you're using? Eh, it doesn't matter because Ronald Lacuna just hit another home run. So who cares? Who cares? Judge hit another um, one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So my recommendation is, um, you know, I was listening to the Baseball HQ podcast that they do every Friday uh, with Patrick Davitt, which that could be my recommendation too because – it's a great podcast. Uh, yeah. But he had Paul Spore on this past week, 
And, um, you know, I hadn't really been paying attention, but apparently Paul has been doing a, a starting pitcher chart um, every day over at Rotographs. And it, it goes over, you know, he, he has a whole chart with every day starting pitcher. And then the next day he'll do, um, you know, he'll put the results for each pitcher. And it's just like mm-hmm. a really nice, clean, succinct way to look at, you know, each individual pitcher. He'll give like an interesting stat or take for each one. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that. Uh, Rotographs, Paul Spore puts out a, a, a great starting pitcher chart. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Uh, any, it doesn't even have to be just fantasy, but any, any baseball related content, uh, that you have found helpful or, or interesting, uh, recently? Uh, there's, there was something at the athletic that I thought was interesting. It's like a new thing that they're doing, um, like every few weeks and it's, they'll ask like team beat writers to answer fantasy questions. So, um, I just think that's helpful because sometimes it's hard to like get an understanding for what teams are actually doing. So mm-hmm. like having a beat writer like address some of them uh, is helpful. So like this week they asked about like uh, Joe Adele's timeline, Mason Miller's injury, uh, who the A's will, you know, fill in for him and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I thought that was like an interesting article that had like a nice little fantasy spin on it. Very cool. All right. You, you are a company woman. I like that. <laughs> like plugging the athletic. Um, is that uh, Michael Waterloo? Is that his article or somebody else who does that? Uh, I'm not sure if they rotate. Uh, this okay. time it was Sam Blum, Dennis Lynn, and Steve Berman wrote it. We, we just got to be careful because, Mike, I think they may be infringing on our on our territory here, right? <laughs> like we are we are the beat writer people. So yeah. Um, Look, leave yeah. it to the athletic to steal our thunder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. awesome. I didn't mean to cause any controversy. No, no not at all. <laughs> we have some more to the editors over there. But uh, anyway, uh, Mike, why don't you help us uh, finish this off with our final segment here? Yeah. So, Andrea, one of the things that we like to do on here too, you know, Chris and I both work in the mental health field, and we feel like something that needs to be talked about and discussed around all of us is the idea of mental health and what we're doing to be able to take care of ourselves, both physically and mentally. And um, we like to bring that up at the end because we think that it needs to be something that is brought up into the conversation on a daily basis with so many people in the United States and all around the world actually struggling with mental health issues. Andrea, what's one thing that you're doing for yourself to maintain your physical and or mental wellness in in this last week? Um, I guess there's two things. The, the first uh, for physical wellness is I started exercising. And that was a big deal for me because last year when I was like with the Yankees, I really did not give a lot of thought to like doing that on a regular basis. So it's sure. nice to be able to do that um, with a more flexible schedule now. And then um, like mentally, uh, one thing that I always try to keep in mind is this phrase that my grandpa would tell me. In Italian, it's siempre dirit, which means always straight. Mm-hmm. And what it means to me is just like, as long as you do like little things consistently every day towards the right direction, you're doing something to accomplish your goal. Like Absolutely. sometimes goals can seem like overwhelming if they're really challenging, but just a little bit like in the right direction can kind of get you over the humps and like get you in an upward trajectory. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. That's so cool. Chris, how about you? 
Yeah. So um, I read something the other day that I, I found really helpful and just kind of reminded me of, of the importance of, of living, um, living by our values. And uh, so what I was reading was this, it's a, a newsletter called Young Money. And by, it's just by this guy, I just feel like he's an interesting dude. He's got some interesting ideas. He's, uh, his name is Jack Rains and he's like, his mid twenties, but very insightful. A lot of a lot of wisdom and some of the things that he writes. And uh, yeah, he spoke about something that really resonated with me. And he, he called it "living your life backwards." Mm-hmm. And this is kind of something I already do, uh, like with my clients uh, when we start our work together. Is kind of trying to clarify what their values are. You know, what is it? What is it that they want their life to be about? Because a lot of times, I, I feel like we. Um, we, we kind of just live our lives on autopilot, you know, and just kind of go through the motions, whether it's with work, school, parenting. And then we kind of wake up one day and we're like, holy shit, like, I'm not, I'm, this isn't the life I want to live. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not living the, the life that, you know, that I really value, whether that's being, you know, um, uh, a good father or a good, you know, um, or, uh, helping others or whatever it is, you know, for some people, it's not that at all. Some, you know, it's about money, whatever it is. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, the idea of like thinking about that while also remaining present, it's not easy, but like, I think we, we do have to like look forward and like, he talked about even like writing your own obituary, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, it, it's like a morbid thing in the sense It's kind of just uncomfortable to think about. Uh, but I think there could be some value in that. I haven't done it yet, but <laughs> um, I think to just, you know, like, what do you want people to remember you as, you mm-hmm. know, and, and kind of using that to inform your day-to-day decisions, um, I, I think is important. So this, just reading that article, again, it's something that I already kind of try to do with others, but it, it made me kind of um, think about that as it applies to my own life and, and start to, you know, look at, again, my day-to-day decisions through that lens. That's awesome. Well said. Really, really well done. I had an opportunity just to wrap up this segment. I had an opportunity on Monday, which I guess was yesterday, <laughs> to go to a leadership conference for the uh, the health system that I work for. And it was interesting because the keynote speaker was a guy who actually runs um, the pit crew for one of the big uh, NASCAR racing uh, giants. Um the name escapes me. I don't really follow NASCAR all that much, but it was, it was a big, Oh, Ganassi. That was the, that was who it was. I know that name. So he runs the pit crew and he was talking about how over the course of like a 50 year period, they went from having 90 second long pit crews to guys to get it done in eight seconds, guys and girls to get it done in eight seconds. Now it was pretty wild. And I I thought it was pretty fascinating, but the thing that he said that really kind of resonated with me, was that when they take their their folks out to train on the track because it's constant training of learning how to do things more quickly and be more efficient and it was all bent towards business which is what we're doing as well um he has a sign on the door as you go outside to the track and the, the sign said this the road from good to great is the steepest road there is bring your best self every day it's you versus yesterday and that really resonated with me because I thought the one thing that I'm always trying to preach to my students and my kids at home is be better today than you were yesterday and keep striving to do that next thing. And I think that kind of ties back in really nicely with what both of you said, you know, with Andrea's message from her grandfather and Chris, your research and your reading that you did on on the, that 
stuff as well. It's all ties that really nicely together, right? It's like the goal is always to be trying to self-monitor and also do something that gives you self-improvement, even if it's a really small step, even if it's one thing that you did today that you didn't do yesterday, one small victory can lead to the things that win the war, right? So let's keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, I won't rant. I know I have a tendency to go off on these mental health minutes and turn it into Mike's mental health five minutes. We're not going to do that tonight. I'm going to recuperate here and get back to our basics. Andrea, once again, thanks so much for joining us tonight. You know, we we really are excited to have you back on. You were on with us over winter. It was a, a great one. This one is just as good, if not better. Thank you so much for lending your talents and time to us tonight. Could you tell everybody once again where they can find your work on Twitter? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on again. It was really a lot of fun. I always love your show. Um, but my Twitter is at Scout Girl Report. Awesome. Yeah, she's she does great work. And like I said, if you're not following her on Twitter, change that now. In the wintertime when we were first on, I told Andrea the first exposure that I had to her on Twitter was several years back when she was covering an arbitration hearing on Ryan Yarborough. And I thought, nobody is doing this. This is fascinating. I love this stuff more than I love even talking about the stats and things that are going on behind it because it was something I had no idea about. So keep up the great work. We are so uh, happy for you to get the the new gig at The Athletic. You're going to do great things, and we hope that when you make it big, you'll remember us when we were the little guys still doing this podcast and talking every week about baseball because we love it. So for all of uh, all of our listeners and everybody that's out there, have a great rest of your week. Please make sure to take care of yourself physically and mentally. For Chris Torres, I'm Mike Carter signing off of the Fantasy Baseball Beat for this week. We'll catch you again next week with another great show. Thanks and take care.